I mean, it's kind of cute, right? Hello, and welcome back to Kinda Cute. And if you're new here, welcome. I'm your host, Bailey Evan. And on Kinda Cute, we discuss articles from The Cut and my general pop culture musings. And I haven't touched on this in a while, but I just wanted to say that if you're not familiar with The Cut, The Cut is basically the digital vertical of New York Mag. And technically, it's directed towards women, but here on Kinda Cute, we obviously don't discriminate, even though I'm pretty sure 100% of my listeners are female. I, I think these articles can appeal to a lot of different people so you know just stick around I also wanted to say thank you to Aubrey and Grace who gave me the kindest written reviews I appreciate it so much coming from someone who's had a blog for like four years and the only comments I get from non-friends are ads for Viagra and Cialis like it really means a lot to me so if anyone else would like to leave a five-star review and a written review I would really really appreciate it As for our updates this week, we have an update on the Millie face washing situation. So she did one of those little notes app apologies and she said, I'm still learning the best way to share my routines as I get to know this space better. I'm not an expert. I thought doing a quick video replicating my personal process for that night was okay, but that's not what was conveyed. Okay, this is a cryptic answer and apology, but what the word I get stuck on is replicating. So is she admitting that she was just using fake bottles of her product to replicate her actual nighttime routine? Because that's what I take from this. I think she's admitting that there were no products in those bottles. What do you guys think? And and then last week after I did uh, posted the Caroline Calloway podcast, unfortunately, Caroline's dad passed away and she's been writing a lot of really, I think, profound writing about that whole experience and She writes about the glacial goodbye, and I think her content is really strong as usual, and I really do send her all of my bestest, bestest vibes And in such a tragedy, and now I feel kind of icky even talking about her, but I'm sure as you guys could tell from my last episode, I'm a Caroline fan. No one's perfect. Okay, so let's get into our articles for today. Guys, I'm so excited about this article. This is exactly the kind of article that I live for, the type of woman that I live for. The fact that she's a fellow Floridian just makes this story even better. So the article title is, Enterprising Florida Woman Makes $100,000 a Year Off of Tongue Picks. Yes, you heard me right. Tongue as in the one in your mouth. This is by Sanjita Singh Kurtz. So I'm just going to read you a little bit of what the article says and then give you my thoughts as usual. So her name is Michaela Saravia, and it says she's not like other influencers. In addition to standard Instagram fare, butts, bikinis, etc., the 21-year-old has gained internet fame by elevating an unlikely asset, her tongue, which stretches an impressive 6.5 inches long. Per Lad Bible, uh, not exactly the best source of facts but okay the florida woman nets just shy of 100k each year with her tongue-centric photos and videos the bulk of which are taken in the style of a classic thirst trap and like any good entrepreneur saravia has leveraged her tongue into a larger brand proposition selling merch like apparel sex toys and phone chargers being her app and website supplementing the cash she makes with instagram ads it's surprising to say the least and absolutely genius when you consider she's making roughly around as much as an investment maker banker in 2019 so first of all if you would like to check out her instagram while you're listening along with this you can find her at at kkvsh if you want to give that tongue a little look-see because it really is something 
And what I have to say to this is, girl, make that bread. I know for a fact that there's not a single part of my body that could net me 100K a year. Uh, maybe my brain, but that's not nearly as exciting. And what I found fascinating about her Instagram is that it isn't just a string of tongue picks. I mean, if I had a 6.5 inch tongue, I think the whole thing would just be tongue picks. But as the cut pointed out, it is a lot of your classic Insta thoughty pics, which I'm a fan of. I love looking at butts that I don't understand the physics of and contemplating how it would feel to have my own built-in butt cushions. Not saying I have like a totally flat ass, but I don't have these ones that defy gravity, you know? So she has 2 million followers on her main page, and she also has a side Instagram called KKVSH Store. And it's registered under... Uh, a KKVSH LLC, which I meant to look into to see if that's actually a registered company, which going on this girl's ingenuity, I'm guessing it probably is. And I looked at this Instagram as well, and she sells pop sockets with a little illustration. You know, when you put like the V symbol in front of your mouth and stick your tongue out, you know, to represent, you know, so that's what her pop sockets have on it. And, and back on her main page Instagram, there's a fascinating video of her basically performing fellatio on a lollipop that has a scorpion in it. And I have to say in that video, her tongue kind of looks normal size. And honestly, what I got distracted by on this page was videos of her in mesh bike shorts twerking, which alone would not be strange. Again, standard thoughty fare. But the bike shorts have holes in them. Like, like little rips, not intentional holes. And is this supposed to be a testament to just how large her butt is? I mean, is it trying to show that the cheeks can just not be contained by the mesh bike shorts? Again, I would love an answer to this. There's so many things I just ask out into the ether and I feel like I'll never know. And I think this might be one of those mysteries. Uh, so yeah, again, girl, work it. Teach me your ways. Um, I wonder if people are going to start getting uh plastic surgery to get their tongues enlarged and I also have to point out I think this article is a little misleading um because I don't think her her sole salary is coming from the fact that she has a six and a half inch tongue I think it's largely coming the fact from the fact she's shaking her ass and is uh conventionally very attractive has a buttery looking skin that I would just like to touch honestly it looks extra smooth and hydrated um so I think it comes more from that and the thirsty men on the internet than the fact that she has a 6.5 inch tongue but that's just my take on things <sighs> okay so our next article I'm sorry I'm again taking wine breaks I might edit my glugging out but you know I think it gives a little texture to the podcast a little sound effect make you feel like you're right here drinking wine with me you're probably drinking wine as you listen to this to just you know drown out my annoying voice and my general mundane uh, comments okay but I think this next article is pretty damn interesting and it says who knew there was this much to say about swinging by Bridget Reed all right guys buckle your seatbelts because if any article has given me brain whiplash this year it's this one if you're not familiar with Thomas Middle Ditch he's in the show on HBO called Silicon Valley he plays Richard I only watched like the first two seasons but I remember thinking he seemed so endearing on it and just like a little nerdy boy and this article has me shook to my core okay so the way Playboy did this article is they asked 20 questions which I thought seemed innocuous enough you know it's kind of like that game you play when you're a kid I was like oh this will be fun no it wasn't fun it's a nightmare so let me read you what the cut had to say <laughs> in response to what is itself a cursed question which is as follows 
You and one of the Godzilla writers visited a swingers club with your partners during production. Are you and Molly, your wife of four years, familiar with the swinging scene? Middleditch describes telling her in his own words, Molly, I'm sorry, but we have to get non-traditional here. <laughs> and Bridget Reed, the author of this, says, Damn, go off, polyamorous cowboy, which Bridget, love that. So then he goes on to explain that the term swinging is an old term and now it's just called part of the lifestyle and that this part of the lifestyle thing has saved his marriage. Yeah, he he describes himself as a ravenous little monster. All around terrifying. And I just need Molly's take on this to know that she's not mortified. Uh, Molly, if you'd like to be a guest on Kind of Cute, hit me up. BaileyEvan.com. BaileyEvan on Instagram. Kind of Cute Podcast on Instagram. I would love to speak with you about this. Actually, I'm sure all of media is begging to speak with you about this because I think what's more important here is what you have to say than what Thomas has to say. My friend Abby actually sent me the Daily Mail version of this article. And in the subject line, she wrote, he's so hot. And Abby, I'm sorry if I'm exposing you here, but I just thought this was really funny and fitting since I knew I was going to cover this article. And she pondered if she was an asshole for thinking that, sir, you just wanted to bone other people. And no, Abby, I'm here to tell you that you are not an asshole. I think you're completely right. Uh, This is deranged. Well, not that I'm shaming people who want to swing, but the the whole vibe of this article is just a little bit off track. Like, it makes me think that he took shrooms before giving this article because he references it in the article at one point that he likes to play video games and take shrooms. The whole thing just made me cringe worse than when Taylor Swift tries to make sexy sounds in her songs. And I have to, again, applaud this journalist. Like, honestly, these questions are, and the answers to them are exactly what I would aspire to getting out of my guests if I had one on this podcast. Again, this is your homework. Go look up this Playboy article because I don't think any of the the news articles that are reporting on it are doing justice to how weird it is you literally have to see it in the context of the question and the answer and exactly how thomas responded to get the full image so i'm going to read you out some of the quotes he says i've also been to some weird parties that were very eyes wide shut from which i walked away thinking i don't need it but i'm glad i saw that I've seen some dicks. I've seen some butts. I've seen some tits. It's weird. I've totally gotten to the point where I can see a dick and just be like, nice hog, buddy. <laughs> and it's not weird. Man, I'm jealous. Good stuff. <laughs> I'd like to have gone to the Playboy Mansion just to have the knowledge. Uh, okay. <laughs> I've never seen Eyes Wide Shut, but if I'm remembering correctly, it's the super weird sex party one with Nicole Kidman, which I have no desire to see. I also enjoyed this answer. He was asked, are you comfortable with your body? Which I also have to say, I'm glad that a interviewer is asking a male this because I don't think males are asked this enough. And he says, I am, but I'm 37 now. And there are moments lately when I've been having body image issues. Not many people talk about it being okay for a guy to want to feel sexy. Typically it's get fucking swole. No, I want to look in the mirror and know that I have some semblance of a jawline and feel confident. No one really talks about the fact that guys don't always feel that. It's okay for boys to want to feel pretty. And now I agree with this sentiment wholeheartedly. Again, this article, it just gives you whiplash. It just swings in so many directions. It's like Miley Cyrus on a wrecking ball through your brain. I wish I literally wish I could just do a live reading of this whole article and that would just be my whole podcast. It's it's literally probably more interesting than any other commentary I have to give on it. 
Okay, so let's move on to another thing he said. So he was asked, you're a fan of The Bachelor and The Bachelorette. Explain that show's greatness to people who hate on it or have never seen it. And Middleditch responds with, the fun of it is thinking, what would I do? I always think about how utterly difficult it would be for me to survive in that house with all those alphas. Not that I'm not an alpha. I don't perceive myself as a beta or submissive little bitch or whatever the fuck betas are supposed to be. But who am I going to joke around with? Even though I know I'm funny and cool, would that person even look at me when compared to all the boneheads? Um, okay, serious question for y'all listeners out there. Do we think he is joking? Like, is this all just an extended joke? Or is this really what he thinks? He's kind of giving me incel energy right here, which is if another cut great throwback article that I think we'll have to discuss one day. And actually what was sort of the birth of this podcast, I read that article and I was like, I need to talk about this shit on a microphone. So the fact that I haven't covered it yet is kind of sad. Um, But what incel stands for is involuntary celibate. And I wonder if at one point in his life, uh, little Tom Tom with his little weird face was um, an involuntary celibate. And now this is manifesting himself and making jokes about beta boys, submissive little bitches, and uh, talking openly about his swinging with his about his wife who doesn't want all of her shit out there in the open. This had to spawn from something, you know? I still just have this image of him as that little nerd, like Richard in Silicon Valley when he was in high school. And again, I feel like I'm not doing this article justice. You know how there's just things you can't get your mind around because they're so weird? That's how I feel about this. I mean, this article then swings to him shooting guns with Alex Jones. And at least he he does say that he seems like a diabolical motherfucker. I mean, I applaud him for that. Again, it's it's jarring to read that and then read about how he deals with fame and how sometimes that can help him in his threesomes and how sometimes it doesn't. Ooh, and a juicy part of this article. He was asked, how does fame affect friendships? You and former co-star TJ Miller were once close, right? And he says, I thought this was like a very like kind of shit stirring answer. He says, everyone reacts differently to fame. It's a shame. TJ is very funny. Whatever he's doing or whatever he wants to do, I wish him success. I'm not here to get into whatever happened. We just stopped seeing eye to eye. I'm not the only one who doesn't see eye to eye with. And I don't know if you guys know, but TJ Miller has said like some shit things in the media. He's openly talked about how he doesn't think women comedians can ever be as funny as men, has said sexist things, just been all around kind of gross. And we saw him live at a comedy. Um, it was like a multi-person comedy show, like Amy Schumer was there, Aziz Ansari, and TJ Miller was one of the comedians. And he was so abysmally awful that I went to the bathroom during his act and like didn't want to go back until he was done. It was so cringe inducing. Like, I don't think there was a single laugh. It wasn't funny. Like, and I thought he was really funny on Silicon Valley, but oh, it was it was just not the train wreck you want to keep looking at. It was a train wreck you want to walk away from. Um, So, yeah, I just thought that was like a little juicy almost into that article I never want to hear him refer to himself as a ravenous little monster again Tom Tom okay like (sighs) okay so I'm sorry that we're ending on a dark article this week but 
and I'm not going to go too in detail on this because I really just think it's too, too dark, like blow my mind dark. But this is about the feud between Nick and Aaron Carter and how it's taken a dark turn. And this is another Bridget Reed article. Love you, Bridget. Killing it today. It says the feud between Backstreet Boys member Nick Carter and his younger brother Aaron Carter took a dark turn yesterday when Nick and his sister Angel, Aaron's twin, filed a restraining order against Aaron on Tuesday. In a tweet, Nick Carter, 39, wrote that the order was obtained in light of a recent confession that he harbors thoughts and intentions of killing my pregnant wife and unborn child. Aaron Carter, 31, publicly responded, tweeting, I was just served, lol. He added, take care, at Nick Carter. We're done for life. And denied wishing to harm anyone before launching into a tweet storm about how Nick was retaliating against him for live streaming with Melissa Schumann, a former member of the girl band Dream who accused Nick of rape in 2017. Aaron also claimed that multiple women have accused his brother of sexual misconduct. So I actually had no idea that a member of Dream had accused Nick of rape. And I loved Dream. Anyone else? I mean, they were the jam. So my heart goes out to Melissa Schumann. Killing pregnant ladies and unborn children is just too dark of something I want to handle. So we're going to take a sharp left turn and talk about Trisha Paytas and Aaron Carter. So this is my homework assignment for you guys this week. I want you to go on YouTube and Google Trisha talking about Aaron. And it is fascinating. She talks about banging him. She talks about the relationship. And it was such a weird childhood colliding moment because all I could think about was him singing Candy to Hilary Duff. And then Trisha Paytas is talking about banging him. And if you're not familiar with Trisha, Trisha is a curvaceous lady. She likes to do mukbangs on YouTube where she eats massive amounts of fast food. And um, she has very plumped up lips. She likes a glam moment. She likes a, you know, early millennial style. All the Von Dutch, all the glitter, all the bedazzled tops. Uh, yeah, I just highly recommend that YouTube video. And it talks about how, you know, he was kind of unstable and he blocked her on Instagram. I'm telling y'all, if you want the real juicy gossip, go to YouTube. The real shit doesn't get posted on, you know, traditional media outlets and TV. No, the good shit is on YouTube. And am I saying you should watch, you know, gossip channels on YouTube and support that gossip culture? Uh, maybe not, but maybe yes, because it's kind of good and kind of juicy. Okay, so my legit shit for today is giant scrunchies from room shop vintage which is a philly based company and i have to say that some of my favorite artists come out of philly like brian januski who makes my drippy pots drippypots.com uh these scrunchies are just so fabouche they're huge i don't know why other people aren't making huge scrunchies i hope they get like a patent on it because it's so genius they use recycled scraps so it's sustainable it's gorgeous fabric i have a silk one i have two that are like shimmery iridescent did I need to spend $65 on scrunchies? No. Am I really glad I did? Yeah, because they look incredible. So, <laughs> okay. And I think this is the week that I'm going to insert the Taylor Swift end of the review, tracks uh, 9 through 18. So stay tuned for that, and I will see you next week. Bye. Next we have Death by a Thousand Cuts. Skip. Skip. I mean, honestly, I don't like it. This is up there with... Um, the Americana shit and what's who is the piano woman hmm? the white uh, the one white fences or white ho white houses 
definitely. Guys, you Oh no. Vanessa Carlton. We could walk 1,000 miles. This song has some strange Vanessa Carlton piano that haunts me. But like, don't diss my queen Vanessa like that. I, you're right. I take it like <laughs> halfway back. It's just like, a, it's like she tried to be Vanessa. Oh God. And failed. We're spilling wine, guys. We're don't worry about wine. it. And it's weird because I think when you when you read the lyrics to this, I think this could have been kind of a classic Taylor song. Chandeliers still flickering away, uh, waking up and you not being my baby. Now I'm searching for signs in a haunted club. I think this song had potential and it just doesn't work for me. But a lot of people like this song. This is kind of a, a lot of people have named this as one of their favorites. But I think this is song speaks to people who think love is a battlefield. Yeah. Which is what we are kind of talking about. To be a yeah. Which to me, love should be easy. So this song doesn't resonate with me much. Also, she openly admits, probably because she's insecure, that people think that this song is about her current, like, potentially husband, Joe, that this is based on the Netflix movie with Gina Rodriguez and Lakeith, who. Oh, like, oh, really? Oh, I'm sorry. I'm just shook little. by that fact. <laughs> that, that, um, Something great. Something great. Yeah, it's cute, but but you fucking wrote this song based on that? To me, that's just her saying, like, well, Joe and I have never had issues like this song, so obviously I had to write it based on a fictional work of art. Oh, it makes me angry. That movie deserves more than this song and is more nuanced than this song. Yeah. Are we done with that? We're done. We hate it. It's a two. (laughs) I'm just kidding. I don't... It's what? fine. I mean, it's I don't know. I, I just don't know if I rate it um, above or below. I think he knows. All right, we are on to London Boy. Oh, oh this is going to be shame. Track for me. 11. So this song is special, especial, because our dear Elena here completed some of her studies at Oxford. Oh, that's not even what I was going to talk about. <laughs> I heard this song and I was like, dumpster truck. Like, this belongs in the gutter. And Ten listens later, I can't get enough. Like I really because it's like it's song. such an earworm. We also need to talk about how it opens up with Idris Elba and James Corden, which is just weird. They are her co-stars on Cats, and if you guys remember from my early episodes, I have some thoughts about Cats, the movie. Well, she, Idris Elba is pandering, and James Corden is. Pandering. Pandering. I'm just like, this is like, you can't start a song out with something that is so overtly pandering. Yeah, it's not It's not good. And they say something like, we get in my scooter. <laughs> and I didn't actually, now that this is written out in front of me, uh, you know, just around London, which I guess is James Corden. They've like sort of blurred him out. Oh. Carpool karaoke kind of... I think this is also so strange because this is other than people who are officially on her songs as in like an Ed Sheeran or a Kendrick Lamar I don't think we've ever just had a talking part from a oh, male wait, oh not from a male you're right Sorry. Yeah, who's who's our woman uh, the, the baby of uh, oh, oh of Blake, Blake Lively. Lively yes so just kind of a weird addition oh. Ellen is too comfortable with her wine so keeps kind of like lounging back in her seat so again who knows if this will see the light of day might, might not. <laughs> uh, so here's my thought on verse one. This 
it starts with like these references to like places but also just like Americana imagery like ooh I love Motown I love SoCal Springsteen faded blue jeans when I first heard this I was like I just hate when she does this I hate when she acts like she is like this blonde like pageant girl and she like adopts a that Miss person. Americana if you will yeah I really don't like when she does that but then something happened which is also what the lyric says now that I realize it when the chorus starts where I was just like if I don't take what this song is saying seriously I like it like if I'm not actually listening to the words I think it's a bop my only issue with this song is that the metaphors she uses are so basic it's literally like if someone was to talk about liking an American girl and being like oh she likes those Mickey D's and that Chick-fil-A and and that apple pie (laughs) Like, that is the equivalent of what she's doing here. Like, you would th- <laughs> you would think the fact that she's dated Joe for, what, three years now, that she'd have some more nuanced metaphors mm-hmm. and, like, inside jokes, but she's literally like, I mean, I'm honestly surprised she didn't talk about tea. Oh, she did. <laughs> she did. I saw that Londoners, I saw in Daily Mail that Londoners are posting memes making fun of this, which... How could they not? Right, right. But the song itself, if you ignore the lyrics, is such a little bop. To me, this is the biggest earworm. This is the one I'm just alone in my bed. <laughs> Little London boy. <laughs> like over and over again. So props from that, Taylor. All right, so London boy gets an 8.5 from me just for catchiness same, alone. Same. Ooh, we're going to a dark song right now. This one made me emosh. I think it probably makes everyone emosh who listens to it. And I'm sad that this is how the Dixie Chicks were used. And it's Soon You'll Get Better, which is track 12. This is an ode to her mother. Well, again, presuming this is an ode to her mother battling breast cancer and everything that goes along with that. And it is deeply, deeply sad. This isn't one I want to spend a lot of time on. Do you have any thoughts, Lena? No, I was, the only thought about this that was just such a bummer is you reach the end and it's not really any, there's not really a positive turn. I was kind of thinking the song because well, her end. mom keeps relapsing. So I yeah. think this is literally the state she's in right now, which makes it even more real and sad. I do like that one thing about even though lover is kind of generally like a creepy word and theme for an album the idea of this being like a love letter in different ways I, I a like familial that. love yeah. and a platonic love which is also what we get on one of the later tracks yeah so I, I, I but the only downfall really here is I, one I don't like to listen to the song because I think it's sad but it's nice that other people will be able to relate to it and two the Dixie Chicks are just like underutilized they're underutilized and I do think her voice sounds very uh, pretty and pure on this mm-hmm. and it's raw and I it's not overproduced so I think this is a nice I don't know sound sonically it's a nice addition and it kind of uh gives me early even almost like her Taylor Swift album her very first one it kind of reminds me of the vibe of that one mm-hmm. so I'll give that one that it's hard on that one because I it's do like think it's a pretty NA. song I can't, I can't. It, yeah it's inapplicable not applicable. Inapplicable. I don't know. <laughs> oh, so much wine, y'all. All right. False God, track 13. 
So 13 is her favorite number. So I wonder if this has like a kind of special significance to her. And I feel like she purposely placed this song at uh, track 13. Have I said that one song is the worst on the album yet? No. Is it this one for you? This song is the worst on the album. <laughs> Yikes. Can you, can you. Um... It has a saxophone, which is like the porn hub of instruments. It's disgusting. <laughs> How dare. Pornhub makes a great Instagram comments, though. Oh, that's so true. It's just like it. This song is generally what Bailey said earlier about like religious imagery and the confusion of mixing it with like sexual references. I can't wrap my head around it. It's like she watched. Oh, what's the movie where that happens? It's kind of like, and wow, I don't mean to throw this movie under the bus, but like. Leonardo DiCaprio maybe wow she maybe she did watch this because then she does bring up Leo later um like the Romeo and Juliet of like having Ooh, the Baz Luhrmann uh, uh, uh the Baz Luhrmann maybe I maybe also have Baz Luhrmann on the brain we but. stayed at a hotel partially designed by Baz Luhrmann this weekend so feels extra relevant but I agree with this. this is so that is literally the vibe of this song yeah like Claire Danes and him like meeting behind that glass thing when she's dressed as the angel yes Totally that. Because just to like let you know the religious references on this, we have blind faith. We have, we'll worship this love. We have, honey, hell is when I fight with you. Religions in your lips. Like that's definitely kind of like a knockoff Shakespeare. Even just saying begging for forgiveness got the wine for you. It's almost like the blood of yeah. Jesus kind of is what I get from that. But it's also strange because she mixes this with the New York reference. You're the West Village. You still do it for me, babe. And I think later on she talks about how she's New York, right? Yeah, or, she does at the very beginning. Oh, right? yeah. Uh, what is it exactly? Which kind of harkens back to this, like, Cornelia Street moment. Oh, of course. There's strong West Village vibes yeah. in this album. Yeah, I would agree. Which kind of adds to the hominess. Yeah. Oh, and I'm sorry, another religious thing. Make confessions and we're begging for forgiveness. I think there's also in this song, and wow, I might be wrong, but something about like we're oceans away. And there's kind of been some, am I right? Ocean? And the ocean, and ocean separating, separating us. Separating us like a, like a parting of the seas. Like a parting of the seas, but also I kind of have been confused because I've read all these reports of them like having this long distance. Oh. So I wasn't sure if that was That's literal. totally what it is. Uh-huh. We've got the Atlantic Ocean in the way. Because she says, remember how I'd fly to you. Totally that. Oh, oh, I missed the most cringe religious reference. The altar is my hips. (laughs) Okay, so worst on the album. A two for me and negative five from Elena. (laughs) Solidly negative five. Also, this is just her Good Morning America thing. I need you to pause this podcast pause everything and google her good morning america outfit and just please everyone affirm to me that she wears butt pads well we all know she got boob implants which she's yet to fess up to so maybe a little brazilian booty lift too a bbl no they look like pads (laughs) all it takes is a little injection all right so next up i'm sure you guys are familiar with this one you need to calm down this is track 14. Mine's <laughs> so rusty. Okay, here's my thoughts on this song. I heard it 
I watch the video. I I feel like a lot of people I know, especially in the gay community, are rooting for this song. And I, of course, root for the message. But what angers me about this is that she can't be so outspoken about something when it's like the entire judicial system has shifted now in her favor. It's like when she when people really need Taylor Swift was she there? Was she there? To me this is so similar to what I talked about on my episode about Valentina Sampaio and Victoria's Secret making a last ditch effort to include transgender representation and I stand by what I said then that whenever we have minority groups or underrepresented groups represented in the media it's a good thing but Where is it coming from? What's the impetus for that representation coming from? Yes, the end product is good, but is there a nefarious reason behind it? I don't know. I like to think the best of Taylor, but... Yeah, I mean, releasing it at the beginning of Pride Month, it seems a little bit self-interested. Yeah. And it's also, she, she always has these references, even in the diary, to haters, and I thought it was funny that this was like a song about like the haters on Lover. Like be a lover and not a hater. And I was like, oh God, you're just exhausting. And I don't, don't even get me started on the weird use of Trailer Park for this music video. Yeah. Can you say out of touch? I remember that on Tumblr when this video was about to come out, someone was like, hey Taylor, I heard that at the end of this video, you are dressed up as fries and Katy Perry is dressed up as a burger and you guys kiss and if this song is really about like supporting advocacy and the gay community then you shouldn't have that because that's not like really yeah, a I genuine message yeah. and she was like no I would never do that and I guarantee that that footage exists somewhere and that it was a uh, snippety snip 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 oh Rooney and cheese because like why would somebody that otherwise was so specific but they did hug, kind of centrally. So is it really that different? Yeah, I don't know. We'll see. I, I think that would get leaked, and how bad would that make her look if she had lied about that? I think it's happening, and also I think she's got these, like, you know what recently, uh, I'm sorry to go on a tangent, but when there was all of this talk about um, her dad, whether or not he was in the board meeting for when they sold the tracks and he was like no I didn't do it because I would have had to sign an NDA it makes me feel like generally speaking these people live in like NDA universes so like we'll oh that's true anyone who's in with a five foot radius of Taylor they'd be signing that NDA so quick for sure that is not even a doubt in my mind yeah so I'm saying we would never know but the thing is people violate those NDAs stealthily where they can't trace it back especially when there's that many people involved like there was in this music video be so hard to trace it back are you out there (laughs) (laughs) all right so let's move on from that one i'm not even that's kind of other na for me because i appreciate the message i don't know if i love the song but i for what it's worth, I, I understand it. So now we're on to Afterglow. This is track 15. I think part of the reason I have a hard time with this song is like I've never had, I've never felt like this. 
it's hard to like listen to songs and be like, I just can't relate. Like this is feeling so bad after a fight where you just really want to make up and talk about how things will be better when you're back together and how you're kind of like owning up to what you've done wrong. And I just like, I've apologized before, but I just think Taylor's fights are probably nuclear. A drama queen. Yeah. And I'm not, the thing is, I think most people can vouch for me. I don't really have a temper. I'm not one to like get in like a verbal fight or a fight of any kind, really. Glow, this is a thematically a song about kind of blowing up over something. Fighting with a true love is boxing with no gloves. And I just, again, there is a repeating theme throughout this album that love is difficult, which is strange to me when she says that she's talking about how love is golden, how love is cozy. It's weird for me that she's talking about it simultaneously as a battle because to me that's not what love is yeah and you know what can answer this because we're having a best friend reunion we're several glasses of wine deep that you can like you love your best friends and you love your family and it's not hard right it's that's what i'm saying i don't feel that way with you i'm not like oh my god like my relationship with elena is so hard never right i never feel this way and like and I think, again, all these songs can kind of apply to, like, a platonic love, a yeah. familial love. So I just think she kind of misses the mark. But I know a lot of people do relate to this song. Again, the same people who relate to Death by a love Thousand Cuts relate to Afterglow. Yeah. So it just depends on what your style is. Are you a Pisces, by <laughs> chance? What's your sign? <laughs> are you toxic? Are, are you? You're either a Pisces or a Scorpio. I'm just going to tell you that real quick. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right, what do we give that one? Uh, uh, like four and a half. Yeah, it's very neutral. I give it a five. It's so smack dab in the middle yeah. for me. Like, I, I don't have many feelings about it. I don't have a negative or, or a positive. I will say if, like, same melody, different lyrics, it could have been a tune. Agreed. Totally agree. All right, next is Me, which the, was the very first track she released on this album. Elena, do you want to take it off? Oh. Uh, let's just, this song in so many ways is uninteresting. Now that I've heard the album, I will say that I don't, I still don't like it, but I think it's better than some of the other tracks. Just skip right to what matters, and that is that deleted line. Yes. I was explaining this to Elena yesterday that... It's fascinating. She took out the line, spelling is fun, which was a much uh, maligned, made fun of lyric because it was fucking bad, okay? (laughs) It was stupid. It was stupid. Yeah. So she scrubbed it from the iTunes. Like, people who had pre-downloaded it on iTunes had to re-download the song because it was scrubbed. Like, fully just taken off the internet. And if I'm wrong on this, please correct me, but I read this and I took it at face value because no, it just not, sounded it's very... It's not on the newest. Oh, shit. Okay, yeah. so we have confirmation. It's not on there anymore. Yeah. Um, I mean, it was a weird addition. It was very elementary. It didn't... I it's, mean... It was such a weird addition, but Bailey, what's weirder is deleting it and scrubbing oh, it. Completely. It shows her paranoia. Yeah. And need for control. Are you fucking kidding? <laughs> yeah, see, Kenzie is in rage. Yeah. Totally. I mean, it shows, but I think her move to do this shows her need for complete control. And that's something that she clearly takes very seriously, having complete control over her masters. Mm-hmm. That 
it's kind of parallels her whole thing with Scott Borchetta and Scooter Braun. Yeah. And that's why, I don't know if you guys have heard, she's going to record all of her masters starting next year. I like him. I like Brandon Urie. I wish I had seen him in Kinky Boots. That was missed opportunity. <laughs> but... But what is he doing on this It's because, album? you know, why he's on it? Because he's bi. Oh. That's why he's on it. Oh, you're so right. It was foreshadowing. She loves her Easter eggs. Also, didn't he do a song called The Man? Um, oh, wow. You're right. Sorry to interrupt, but I, I feel bad that I labeled him as bi. He's pansexual. Okay. He's married to a woman, and he's very much in love with her, but he's not opposed to a man because, to me, he likes a person. So he's I don't really know how that differs from bi, but I'm uneducated, so. Same. <laughs> All right, so we're giving me a, f- I'm giving it a four. We, I'm sorry, this is taking so long, but we're now on to It's Nice to Have a Friend. I like this song, and it, I feel strangely about it. The reason I like this song is because it's very, it's delivered in a very matter-of-fact, way like all of the lines have the same sort of tone but they're saying very particular things uh it goes back to that schoolyard imagery but then kind of evolves over time which i i think makes more sense versus miss americana is like i'm a 30 year old cheerleader <laughs> but like this song is like the idea of growing up with someone makes a lot more sense I don't know. I'm drunk. Okay, well, I have some thoughts on this. So I first of all think it has a haunting sound to it. Yeah. Which reminds me of, didn't she have a track called Haunted? Yes. It, it reminds me of Haunted, again, sonically, the way it sounds, not lyrically. And that kind of threw, threw me off based on the lyrics. And it's also unclear to me if she's talking about multiple friends and multiple, again, types of love or if she's referring to one person that transitioned from a friend to a lover. Hmm. It's also interesting with this song because a lot of the conspiracy theorists and Uber fans have surmised that this is about Carly Kloss. And there was a lot of like uh, predictions that this was going to be her bisexual coming out album, which it, it's not. But <laughs> I do see like where they're coming from on this because it's so kind of intentionally vague that you don't know where it's coming from. And again, to me, it kind of just has a creepy vibe. I could see yeah. this being on like Big Little Lies, like playing in the background, like that kind of like ominous, creepy, and which does not go with the lyrics. Right. Maybe that's what I was trying to get at, the matter-of-fact delivery with the like schoolyardy talk. Um and then the chorus has the ooh, which is kind of like, I don't know if this is a Midwestern thing, but there is a like a ghost song. Go, there was an old lady, old skin and bones. Ooh. We did that we did that in elementary school. Yeah. Do you did you do that, Miss Burger's class? I think we did. Yes. Yes, that's what I mean about the haunted vibes. It's literally something I would play like at Halloween, but the lyrics are so incongruous. Video games. Like <laughs> twenty questions. It's like random. Now yeah, that I think about it. Wow, it's like chanty. I, it's chanty too. It's that chanty, vibe. That yeah. But now I get a little bit where people are coming with the Carly stuff. Mm-hmm. Totally. I mean, I see where they're coming from. Uh-huh. I just don't know. I think that's. But I think that's why she left it ambiguous. She loves when people like surmise about. Yeah. 
Well, it definitely doesn't have anything to do with Joe in my mind, but maybe I'm wrong. I don't know anything about him. Well, I mean, again, I, I feel like it could generally talk about that path from a friend to a lover, which maybe she started out with friends as Joe. That's kind of unclear to us as outsiders, but she was introduced by um, Emma... Wait, what's her name? Emma Red Stone. Man. Emma Stone. <laughs> wow, that wine works wonders. But they, she introduced them, so maybe they did start out as kind of like a platonic vibe. Mm-hmm. Again, that one to me is so hard to to categorize. I'm just going to give it a six because I'm not really sure how I feel about it. I'm going to give it a six, but I think that's a pretty high score. Honestly, I mean, I've been giving stuff too, so, you know. Finally, finally, we have arrived at our last track, and that is Daylight, which is another one of my favorites. Elena does not agree with me. No, I like it. I just, it's a similar, I, the songs I can't relate to. I just don't. I think I do appreciate a long form metaphor. As stupid as it is that I think she's now referring to love as golden. I like a throwback. I like a tie-in. I like a a fan pander. And that's what this is. And I like the layers. (gasps) Wait, I'm sorry to interrupt, but. A fan pander. It's a fandering. Ooh. We've got a fandering with this song. <laughs> a fandering. Yeah, I like that. I'm trying to think of what, there were some parts of this that I liked. Oh, like when she goes, I would never look away or something like that. You know what I'm saying? Where she would deli- deliver the lyric and then behind she has her own voice being like saying Oh, other see, things. that's a nuance I didn't catch on. Oh. I was just swept away by the little cute lines of like, because in the daylight we'll be on our own, but tonight I need to hold you so close. Like, stupid crap. In my arms so beautiful, the sky's getting bright, the stars are burning out. Like, this is total kind of Taylor like Swift Selena, first album. Um, Gomez or Quintanilla? Quintanilla. Um, Dreaming of You Tonight. Was oh, funny. yes! Which I like that song, too, though. I love that song. Yeah, this to me is just a very classic, I think ending out on a super classic love song, a full circle moment, it made sense to me, I saw where it fit in, I understood the metaphor, which I can't say about 80% of the rest of this album. <laughs> yeah, no, that that's all accurate. I do think it's weird, well, generally I, like, I don't mean to, I want everyone to be happy, but when Taylor Swift describes love, I'm like, I think I could skip out. I'd rather, like, have, like, uh, something else much more exhilarating for the next couple of years. Yeah, Elena wants also something more complex than, uh, I was afraid of the dark, but now it's all that I want. Like, ew. (laughs) Yeah. Taylor Taylor Swift is, like, a full-on impressionist, like, in terms of, like, her artistic style. She's like Caroline Calloway. No, impressionist is so generous. Well, I'm talking about like you she's can like see Sesame the image. Street. <laughs> Fair, <laughs> I take it back. I was generous, but I do have to say this about Taylor. I think Taylor does, cause think about. It, let's all put ourselves in Taylor's Louboutins for a second. Just kidding, she would never. Her Stella McCartney's. <laughs> let's put ourselves in her Stella McCartney kitten heels. She thinks she's relatable. I 
think she thinks she's relatable, but I also think she has a high school education. But that's what I'm saying. I think part of it comes, I think she has a juvenile, (laughs) right? I think she has a juvenileness about her that is relatable. I don't think she'd be the pop princess that she is if she didn't have a certain amount of relatability. She is always an outsider. No matter how hard Taylor tries, Taylor is not the cool girl. You can be the most popular singer in the world. Taylor is not the cool girl. She can be the richest. She can be the most successful. She can be the best songwriter. But no one looks at Taylor and is like, yeah, she's cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no. And I think that does underlie her lyrics. And for that, I think that's what will always speak to me about her albums. But I think of you as a cool girl. (laughs) I just spit on my microphone, guys. And on that note, kind of cute. Honestly, this is the longest podcast I've ever recorded. I hate this. This is never seeing the light of day. I love my co-host more than anything in my entire heart, but this was an atrocity. (laughs) And on that note, follow me at baileyevan.com and baileyevan on Instagram. Leave a review. Give me five stars and subscribe. Kisses. London boy. Oh, shit.